often believe everything that we have talked about, some of which you have slept through, (laughs) understandably. We have covered so much ground, most of this material, even being on a college level. You guys are brilliant. You have done amazing. You have done great. Week number one, we talked about some things like this, that time is actually a property And time itself is impacted by some things. It's impacted by mass. It's impacted by gravity. Time is also impacted by velocity. We talked about that on week number one. You covered that material flawlessly. And then we also talked about the age of the earth, and we talked about carbon dating. That was week number one. Week number two, we talked about when the angels were created. And we talked about this thing called the gap theory. You can go back and check that out, week number two. We also talked about it week number two. We talked about the speed of light and how the data is revealing that it is slowing down. We talked about that week number two. Week number three, we came back and we dug very deeply for us into quantum physics. We talked about the construction of every atom. And we talked about how every atom, which of course you are made up of, I am made up of, this table is made up of, every atom is made up of mostly empty space. We talked about that in week number three. And then we talked about the nature of space. And we talked about how empty space is not really empty after all. We talked about that week number three. Week number four. We talked about this thing called the anthropic principle, which basically says that the earth is uniquely designed for us. It is uniquely designed for life. We talked also about the chance. I don't know if I have them up here. Yeah, we talked about the chance of uh, all of this happening by chance, and we used these as an example. Um, Don't have time to use those again as an example, but we talked about that, about chance. Um, We also talked about uh, DNA, and that's when we used uh, all of the the fishing line um, and uh, 125 miles times two, so basically 250 miles of fishing line crammed into something the size of a basketball. I don't have time to go over all that again, but it was pretty interesting. That was week number, uh, that was week, uh, well, I lost, week number four. Um, So we were talking about DNA, and with all of that, we were talking about hemoglobin. That's a a part of the blood. All of this having to do with chance. And we talked about the second law of thermodynamics. Uh, We also, week four, we covered a lot. We also talked about the principle of irreducible complexity. I would encourage you to go back and at some point review those weeks, and that was all in week number four. Week number five was pretty interesting. We talked about Darwin, and then we jumped over and talked about one of his contemporaries, which was a younger cousin of Darwin's. We talked about that, and that led us to a discussion of eugenics. Amazing how that is all tied together. That was week number five. And then last week, week number six, We took some time as we presented some challenges to evolution. And you know what? You have hung in here with me through some very deep 
detailed teaching. And it is quite possible that, I, I can't say never, but it is very possible that we won't ever go back to Genesis chapter 1 in the same detail that we have covered it in this series. Because now we have that teaching all in archived format that you can get back to. So you were here for the live version, and you hung in here through it all. And I am so impressed. So Stuttgart Harvest Church and friends of Stuttgart Harvest Church, um, you're amazing. And here we are now at the final week in this series, the last day of creation that we're covering. And it is the sixth day, and that is Friday on the, the map of creation. And we're going to begin here in Genesis chapter 1 as we kind of wrap up this chapter that we have spent now, counting today, seven weeks on. We're going to start with verse 24. And here's what the Bible says. Then God said, let earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring of the same kind, livestock. Small animals that scurry along the ground and wild animals. And that is, as it continues, that is what happened. We needed one more word there. That is what happened. That's exactly what God did. Um, you know, God created these animals to be self-propagating, which means that they can now, that he has them started, they can now continue. They continue. They're going to have babies, and those babies eventually are going to have babies, and they're going to continue. Now, have you ever thought, why does a dog not mate with a cat? And you say, well, the sizes are all off. You know, there's a great big dog and a little bit of cat. Okay, well, let's think about a Yorkie. I mean, a beagle. I don't care. Why, why does a dog not mate with a cat? So we come up with a, a dat or a cog. I, why does that not happen? Why, why does a dolphin not mate with a whale? And here's the answer. Because it is defined in their very DNA that they are limited to, as we just read in God's Word, they are limited to their kind. They don't really have a choice. Their DNA code limits them to their kind. So kinds. Um... Why are there kinds? Well, we can use the same answer. There are different kinds, different types of animals because it is defined in their DNA to be that kind or that type. It is digitally defined in their DNA. You see... They did not slowly separate from each other to develop separate kinds. They didn't really slowly evolve into different kinds. 
The kind, the type, was digitally defined inside of their DNA to be that kind. It's in their DNA. Small changes in that type, small changes in that kind. Yes, there have been. Many, many small changes within each of those types and each of those kinds, yes. But a complete development of a new kind, a new type, no. That didn't happen. Verse 25 says this, God made all sorts of wild animals, livestock, small animals, each able to produce offspring of the same kind. And listen to this, and God saw that it was good. So, here's the question then. If they happened to develop new kinds from one kind, as evolution tells us, then why, after almost 150 years of searching, are there no missing links found? You see, we said that each species, each kind, is digitally defined. And each species within that kind, there's evidence of some type of unique, specific design at work in that species. Let me give you an example. Let's look at the giraffe. Here's Mr. Giraffe there. Um, we're just going to leave that on the screen for a bit. The giraffe, uh, uh, when it's fully grown, can stand about 19 feet tall. It's going to weigh about 2,500 pounds, which I'm glad makes me feel a little smaller. The giraffe at full speed can run about 36 miles per hour, and every day it's going to eat about 201 pounds of food. Somewhere during a 16 to 20 hour period, it's going to eat that much. The giraffe, as many of your teenagers, only sleeps 20 minutes a day. Listen to this, though. The giraffe can go for months at a time without water. It's uniquely developed to live in this life that it lives in for many of those giraffes. Um, but let me get to this specific design element that you find inside of this kind, this giraffe. The giraffe has some very specific engineering going on inside of its body. We're going to look just at a summary of the circulatory system for the giraffe because the giraffe, it poses us some problems because its head is 19 feet in the air. Now, the blood pressure in a giraffe's aorta is about, and if you're in the medical field, this may make more sense to you than it does me, but it's about 220 millimeters of mercury when that animal is standing. Now, here's basically what that means. For a human, that blood pressure would be 
dangerously high. But for a giraffe, it is absolutely necessary to have that kind of pressure in its blood, in its circulatory system, to move that blood all the way up its long neck to get it to the head of the giraffe. It has to have that much pressure. It's necessary. Now, to accomplish this, to get that much pressure and that blood up that distance, it has to have a really big heart as well. And the heart of the giraffe is about two and a half feet long. It's an enormous heart to create that kind of pressure and that kind of force. But here's the problem. If a giraffe's mouth is way up here 19 feet in the air and the water is all the way down at the ground, the giraffe has a problem. It has to get that head all the way to the ground so that it can get water. And there's a little problem on the side, and that is um, all around the giraffe are things that would really like that kind of porterhouse steak. <laughs> all kinds of things would like to eat that giraffe. That could feed a family for days. So the giraffe has to get all the way down to that water where it is the most vulnerable, but it has to do it in a way. Now, here's the problem. When you bring that kind of blood pressure all the way down to the ground, that giraffe should start exploding blood vessels and blood veins inside of its head. They should start just bursting when it comes all the way down and that kind of pressure down that low. It should... It should it should kill the giraffe immediately. Um, it should hemorrhage out from inside of its head. And then, of course, then it would be easy pickings for the, uh, uh, the, those who want a big, fat giraffe snake, uh, steak. Not a snake, a steak. <laughs> um, so there's a problem there. For the giraffe to get water, it's got to do it without dying that would seem to be a problem. So, here's the solution to that. There are valves inside the arteries. There are these valves inside the arteries, and they're in the neck. And as the giraffe comes down to get water, those valves close. And the blood that is beyond those valves in the neck that blood begins uh, uh, to, to go through that last valve that is closing, and it collects inside of this sponge-like organ in the head of the giraffe. So it collects all of this blood and so as it's coming down, it is kind of depressurizing from the neck up as it goes down so it doesn't burst all those blood vessels. That excess blood in the neck goes and stores inside of that sponge-like organ inside the head of the giraffe. So it can go down, it can drink water without dying. That's pretty ingenious. And in fact... That would be a hard thing to evolve over the course of time. 
Because as the giraffe goes down to drink and dies, there's one thing a dead giraffe can never do. A dead giraffe cannot evolve. A dead giraffe cannot pass on to its offspring and future generations any information because a dead giraffe is dead. That's a unique thing. But there's still more problems because now that the giraffe is down there and it survived the drink, now if it sees any danger around or hears or smells, however giraffes do that, they're going to have to now come back up 19 feet in the air. And they're going to have to do it rather quickly if they're going to respond. If, if a lion is stalking, they're, they're most vulnerable when they're getting water. So they have to respond quickly. They've got to get the head back up and they've got to be ready to run that 36 miles an hour. They've got to be ready to defend themselves. So if the giraffe brings its head up too quickly, well, then we have another problem. Because now suddenly it goes from the pressure down here to the pressure up here and there is no blood up there now. And so the giraffe would grow dizzy and its neck would flop and it would fall and again, then it would be eaten. So we have another problem. The giraffe has to have a way to not pass out when it comes up from getting water. Especially in a situation where it has to go fast. So there's a solution to that. There's another set of valves. Another set of valves on the other side, on the downside, and those close as it's beginning to raise its head up. Those close. And then all of that blood that was stored in that spongy organ then filters in through the brain, so the brain instantly has the blood that it needs. It never goes without. The pressure equalizes. The valves open back up and the giraffe survived. It didn't get dizzy. It didn't fall. It didn't pass out. It did not get eaten. Very important. Because how can that evolve over the course of time? Because when the giraffe gets up, it gets up, and there's danger, it gets no blood, and it falls and it dies because it gets devoured by the lion. One thing that dead giraffes cannot do is evolve. And one thing dead giraffes cannot do is pass on to their offspring and pass on to future generations that important information because the giraffe is dead. One thing that dead animals cannot do, and that is change or evolve. If you look at basically every species, every kind that's out there, you will usually find something that is unique to that species that is a matter of life and death. It's something that has to be in place from the very beginning in order for that species to survive. It's something that can't wait millions and millions of years, much less moments or days it's something that can't wait to be developed it has to be for the life of that animal it has to be in place and that's what god did in his design verse 26 then god said so we're shifting gears here let us make human beings in our image to be like ourselves. Now, I don't know if you remember in week number two, I think it was, 
Week number two, we told you that that word there for God is Elohim. And that is actually a plural word. In the Hebrew, that is plural. And here, you see God having a conversation with himself in a plural form. Then God, which is a plural, but it's always used, almost always used in the singular, but here it is used in the plural sense. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like ourselves. Hmm. Looks like I have a typo in there. That's my fault. I'm sorry. Because we are not meant to scurry along the ground. <laughs> my bad. <laughs> of course, sometimes we do, right? Some of you may have scurried home last night. <laughs> Let us, so that God is plural, and here it is used in the plural sense, giving us a hint, God giving us a hint, giving us a clue that there is more to God than we understand. There is more to Him than we really can comprehend. This is pretty, uh, pretty much for me an amazing statement. Then God a plural, said here, let us make human beings in our image to be like ourselves. Let's pause for a moment. What is God's image? So if God is making us in His image, what is that image? You see, it's not a physical thing. God did not make us physically, physiologically like God. It's not a physical thing. It's a relational thing. Thing. Think of his image this way, perhaps. If we could categorize God in some way that our minds can comprehend, so often we, we tend to think of him as like a king. God is like royalty, perhaps. That's just one way our minds go. And if that's the case, then you can think of yourself as now in his image as related to the king. That makes you, if you're related to the king, that would also make you royalty. No matter what anyone else might think about you, if you are indeed, as you are according to God's word, created in the image of God, then you are created by royalty, and that makes you royalty. Pretty interesting. That's a relational concept. We are related to God, directly to God, as our Creator. So if we are in relationship, if that is the image of God, He has created us relationally, then let's look at, very quickly, let's kind of summarize some of those relationships. So we are created to be in relationship with ourselves, in fact. Of all the people you talk to all day long, you talk to yourself more than anybody. All day long, don't you? You call yourself stupid. You call yourself an idiot. You call yourself worthless. If you're like me. I, you may pat yourself on the back, I don't know. But if you're like me, you run yourself down. You talk to yourself. So you are in a relationship, 
inside of your mind, inside of your life, to yourself. You're also in a relationship. God has created you relationally. You're also not only in a relationship with yourself, the way you treat yourself, the way you talk to yourself, what you think about yourself, but you're also in a relationship with God. He has created you to be in a relationship with God. Some of our relationships with God, you might, if you were to rate yourself in your relationship with God, you might rate yourself a 10. You might be saying, yeah, I've got it going on. You know, I'm reading my Bible. Oh, I feel good about this. I feel good about that. Most of us might rate ourselves pretty poorly. Most of us, when we think about our relationship to God, we, we have some guilt because we think of all the ways we've let God down. We think of all the things we've done wrong. We think of all the things, how we have hurt God or we have hurt others. But that is part of those feelings we have about that relationship that is part of a relationship, right? We always have feelings about relationships. You also have a feeling about your relationship with God. You're created for a relationship with yourself. You're created for a relationship with God. You're even created for a relationship with creation. Not talking really about other people here, but actually God has placed us on this earth to take care of this earth. To care for. To, um, to, you know, to... To take care of. I just don't know another way to say it. Just to take care of this amazing creation that God has left us with. He's asked us to do that. So you're in a relationship with this creation. And you are also then in a relationship with all the other people, humanoids around you. You're in a relationship with them too. God has created it that way. He's made it that way. And all of those relationships come together to form, in this case, how God has created you in His image. See, it's not a physical thing. It's a relational thing. You know that inside of this whole area of relationships, God has built some pretty cool things. He's placed them inside the context of relationship. He has placed in that context uh, some, something called compassion. And God has placed in the context of relationship something called grace. It can only be expressed in relationship. That's it. He's placed something called mercy. It can only be expressed in relationship. He's also created something called love. It can only be expressed properly in relationship. God has created that special for you. Because that is part of God's image. Relationally, Him expressing that towards us. Compassion, grace, mercy, and love. And He has placed that inside of you. So this is significant. So where does then compassion come from? Where did it originate? Where did mercy and love and grace come from? Because those things cannot evolve. Where do they come from? It comes from the very image of God that He has created 
inside of us. It is the capacity, your capacity, that He has given you. Your capacity for love. Your capacity for compassion. Your capacity for mercy. And your capacity for grace. Listen to this song. That's where we get love. That's where it comes from. That verse goes on to say, verse 26, that they will, speaking of God's creation, you and me, those created in the image of God, they will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky and the livestock and the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So we will reign over, I guess, because we're royalty. We're related to God. He created us. We will reign over all of these. We will take care of all of these things we will care for. Verse 27. So, God, there's that word again, Elohim. And remember, it is a plural. And this is how it is most often used. So, God created human beings in His, which is singular, His own image. So God somehow, who is this Elohim, who is somehow plural, but almost always used in a singular way, just like this. So God, Elohim, plural here, more than we could understand, more than we could describe, more than we could explain, God created us, human beings, in His own image, this relational image. It goes on, the image of God. He created them, male and female. He created them. Now here's where I, I have always made a promise that as we, as we come to, in God's Word, as we come to things that can even be controversial, we teach them with love and we teach them with kindness. But here's the promise. We will always teach you the truth. And God here says that He created them male and female. You see, God is telling us in this account of creation that sexuality didn't... The alligators are going to... We are not like the alligators here. The alligators are going to become male or female based upon the temperature of that nest, which we will learn, as I see on Facebook, more and more over the next decades as we have more and more alligators in our area. We don't develop a sexual identity based upon the temperature of our nest. It's assigned to us at birth. And in this case, let, let me say this. So sexuality did not evolve. God has created us as, as, as His human beings, the masterpiece of His creation. He's created us male, and He has created females. Men and women. You see, sexuality, it's not an accident. It's not just a happenstance. It's not something that has evolved. It's not an accident. In fact, sexuality is a gift from God. It's a gift from God. Now, 
Let's, let's talk about this for a moment. Because we live in a world where today our only perspective, our only perspective of our lives and this life that we have, that we have to live, is this side of heaven. And that side over here of what we would call the fall when Adam and Eve fell. That's our only experience. And here is the truth. This side of heaven, we experience pain and hurt, even related to our sexual identity. We experience hurt, and we experience pain, and we experience, you can experience ridicule, and you can experience the pointed finger of judgment and meanness and anger. You can experience the hand, the physical hand of hurt and violation. The statistics tell us that one in four women, by the time they reach the age of 18, have been sexually assaulted um, in some way. One in four. And all of this pain and all of this hurt impacts the way a person feels about themselves. And about their identity. Whether we understand it or not, or whether we admit it or not, the way we feel is impacted by the world around us. And while God's gift to us at creation was sexual identity, that's one of many gifts. A gift that He gave us at creation. This side of heaven and this side of all of that sin. In other words, we are not yet to perfect heaven. We live in this hurt, sinful, broken world. This side of heaven is perfect over there. This side of all the stuff that went down in the Garden of Eden and all the stuff we experience right now, this side, this hurtful, painful world. That's where we live. And this world can impact the way we feel about ourselves, the way we identify with ourselves, and it can impact the way we view that gift that God gave us at creation, sexual identity. It can impact all of that. And it can lead to a world of hurt, a world of confusion, a world of pain. But the truth is, God created male and female. He created those not as a curse. And you may be sitting here right now thinking, I have been created in the wrong body. God he may not have made a mistake with you, Harley, but He made a mistake with me. God did not create your sexual identity as a curse. At creation, it was a gift. And for some of us, it has only become a curse in this world. The world we live in. 
But the truth is, God gave it to us as a gift. Verse 28. He said, He created them, and then verse 28, Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. And that word govern you can understand as take care of, care for. So it said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Now I want to talk to you a moment. Now again, remember my perspective that I set up at the beginning. Remember that. You are being taught from someone who has been broken. You're not being taught from someone who is pointing their finger, someone who is shaking their Bible at you. This is through love and kindness from a broken person. God said, fill the earth and govern it. He said, be fruitful and multiply. And I want to talk to you a moment about strategy. I want to talk to you a moment about opposites. And and I guess the classic opposite is God who is presented to us in God's Word as compassionate, loving, grace-filled, full of mercy. This God, full of love, this God who is Creator, this God, and then we have the opposite. And we're going to talk about this opposite a little bit more in the next series as we talk about the title of the next series is The the Life of... Um, well, I can't think of it at the moment. <laughs> it's written in your worship guide. You'll see it. I'm so sorry. I forgot the, the phrasing. But we're going to be talking about all this life we cannot see. Angels, demons, all this world around us that we cannot see. And as part of that is this ringleader of it all, the one that we call in the Bible, we call the evil one. So we have God. Let's talk about opposites. The opposite of God then would be this real being this real creation of God who became evil, the evil one, we call him Satan, the devil, whatever word you want to use, that, that's okay, I just call him the evil one. Let's talk about opposites for a moment. We have God and we have the evil one. So we have God's plan and we have the plan of the evil one. Now we're not going to get to cover this in this series because all of this comes together really at Genesis chapter 3. We're stopping with chapter 1 with this series. But God has a plan. The evil one has a replacement plan. Has a plan that he wants to enact. He wants to push God's plan out of the way and present his plan as the way. He wants to present his plan as the truth. He wants to present his plan as the plan that will bring you the best life. So we have God's plan, and we have the evil one's plan. God's plan, and for every plan that God has for you and his creation, the evil one has a counterfeit plan. God's plan is God is the creator. God who made it all. Now what could the counterfeit plan to that be? Well, simply put, it would be that there's no creator needed at all. God's plan says, yeah, I'm the creator. I created it all. The counterfeit plan says, 
There's no creator needed. How more insulting. It could not be more insulting than to say, there was no creator even needed. We just did this on our own. We don't need you, God. We, just, we, we did this. We don't know how we did it, but we did it. You weren't needed, God. God's plan, the opposite, the counterfeit plan. God's plan of sexuality and marriage. God created the first man and the first woman. And God, yeah, you can't get any better marriage ceremony than that. God took care of That's marriage. That's family. God created that. Now the counterfeit plan to that. And listen to me. This is all said in love. But this is the truth. God's plan, and then the evil one presents his counterfeit, the opposite really. And the opposite to that says that marriage is about relationship. Now, marriage involves relationship in God's plan, but that's not all there is to it. There's more. But the counterfeit plan says that is all there is to it. It is relationship. And you choose the relationship, pure and simple. Whatever relationship you choose, that's what you choose. And I'm not really even just talking about man and woman. The counterfeit plan says, you could marry your dog if you wanted. It's truly the opposite. God has an organized plan for family, and the counterfeit plan says, no, it's really, no, it's not. There's no one to tell you what you could or could not do. It's whatever you choose, and whatever that relationship is you choose, that's just what you choose. You can choose. God's plan, the counterfeit plan. And there's more. God said, I want you to multiply... And fill the earth. That's God's plan. Multiply and fill the earth. And the evil one has a counterfeit to that. And the counter, just very clearly, and said with as much compassion as I can muster, please hear my heart. I'm simply presenting as in a loving way as I can, as hardly. The counterfeit plan to filling the earth and to multiplying is to kill what has been conceived. That's the counterfeit plan. It is the opposite of filling the earth. And I don't say that to heap judgment upon anyone or to, to heap guilt upon anyone. I simply say there's a strategy in place. And if you have any questions about that, please visit the week we talked about eugenics. Go listen to that week. Because it was all, not all, but it really stressed that aspect of the evil one's plan. The opposite of filling the earth is to depopulate the earth. 
And it's not just unborn babies. It's, it's also as people are uh, getting older and, and as people um, develop uh, illness or as people have trouble in their minds or trouble in their lives physically, that's part of it too. Go back and listen to the eugenics. That is depopulating the earth. Now listen, let me tag this statement with this. Because this is not meant to point fingers. It's not meant to heap judgment and hurt and pain on what possibly in your life could already contain some hurt and some pain. Because the God who created your life gave His life for me. The very person who hated his life. The very person who hated, hated the creation of God, hated his life. God died for this life that I hated. And God offered me compassion and mercy and grace. And no matter what you have brought with you into this room, no matter what history you have accumulated in your life, God is not, has not brought you here to beat you up, to slap you around, to hurt you, to point fingers at you. God has brought you here to embrace you. Because that God who created you also is filled with compassion and love and grace and mercy. The very same things He has bestowed upon this broken life, He wants to bestow upon your life. No matter what we have experienced or gone through, For every plan that God has for your life and for His creation, the evil one has a plan that He wants to push God's plan out of the way and have His plan emerge on top. I mean, look, look at the reality. The reality of the evil one's plan is it, for the whole multiple. It's not just... It's not just... Even a, a scenario of, of, of eugenics. It's also this scenario. The very nature of multiplying the earth requires, and in God's plan, it is a husband and it is a wife. That's God's plan for populating, for filling this earth. That's His plan. And the evil one's plan that says, no, no, you get to marry who you choose. The evil one's plan is not just that you have a free choice of who you marry. The evil one's plan ultimately is the opposite of God's plan, to not populate, to not feel. And that ultimately is part of the whole, the whole same-sex marriage issue. Because that is an impossibility. To multiply and to fill the earth. 
It requires God's plan of a man and a woman. And for every plan that God has, the evil one has another plan to push things out, to push his plan, push God's plan out and bring, God, and bring the evil one's plan to the forefront. It all, it's all kind of tied together. And please understand my heart. As soon as it became legal in Arkansas to do same-sex marriages, my phone, my phone and my Facebook, it lit up. It lit up. I mean, I was immediately, as soon as it happened, on the hour, my phone started lighting up. And here's what I had to say. With love and grace and kindness and compassion, not with finger wagging, not with pointing, not with judgment. Because, my friends, if you have not noticed, we live in a broken, hurting world, and it impacts everybody. And with kindness and love, I just simply said, I cannot. I can't. It's not because I don't love you. It's not because I don't want to be a friend of yours. No, none of that. I just simply can't because I follow the teachings of Jesus and the Bible. I just can't. And at Stuttgart Harvest Church, every single person who ever walks in this door, if they are not a predator of women or children, they are welcome in this. And I mean a predator, someone who is searching, looking to hurt somebody. No matter your hang-up, no matter your habit, no matter your hurt. You can come in here and be among friends and family as we seek our Creator who did not make mistakes, but things went wrong after God created. And you can seek that healing loving, compassionate, grace-filled, mercy-filled, love-filled relationship of our Father. We really are the perfect place for imperfect people. We do not expect any of us to have our lives in perfect order before we walk into these doors. And I'm just going to give you a hint. When you walk out of these doors today, your life's not going to be in perfect order. Not this side of heaven, it's not. We're on this journey together, seeking our God, our only God, who can make things right in our hearts. He tells us in verse 28, reign over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. And then God said, look! I've given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and the fruit of the trees for your food, and I have given you every green plant as food for all of the wild animals even, the birds in the sky and the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And Moses says, and that's what happened, exactly as God said. Do you realize that creation, God created everything vegetarian? 
Yuck. But he did. Somehow it was great. It's not even hinted at until chapter 4, I think, maybe, that meat was added to the diet. But then it was clearly approved by God in chapter 9. And then he clearly allows the consumption of meat. Yes. Listen to verse 31. Then God looked over all that he had made and he saw it was very good. And evening passed and morning came making the sixth day. After God created you, after God created human beings, He looked at everything that He had created. This time it was just not just good. After He created His masterpiece, human beings, after He created us, He then said for the first time, it was very good. And my friends, as I look at you, no matter what you may be struggling with, no matter what may be hurting you or hurting your life or hurting your emotions, no matter what it is, I want you to know this. God looks at you, His creation, and He says you are very good. And then chapter 3 happens. It's in chapter 3 that everything goes wrong. It's in chapter 3 that creation was no longer perfect. It's in chapter 3 that Adam and Eve made their decision to be their own boss. Made their decision to be their own God. Made their decision to rule their lives the way they decided. To make their choices based upon what they wanted instead of what God wanted. It was in that moment that creation broke. It was in that moment that what was very good began to feel very bad. And that brings us all the way to today. Where we as, God, as God's creation... I don't know if you're like me. I, I, can't, I don't know what it feels like to love yourself. If you're like me, you hate yourself. God's creation so often feels very bad. But you know what? God was ready for it. This did not slip up on God. This did not throw a kink in God's plan. Because God already knew from the very beginning of time. He knew what was going to happen. Because we said, if you remember in that week we talked about time. God is outside of time. As we understand time, God is outside of that. God already knew what was coming with His creation. He already knew what they would decide, what they would do. He already knew creation was going to choose to be their own boss, but He created them, He created us anyway. He already knew what was happening, what was going to happen and He created us anyway. And so He had His plan in place before it ever happened. 
And as soon as Adam and Eve committed that first sin, it was no shock to God. It was no surprise to God. He was ready. And he put his plan that was already ready, he put it into action immediately. He was ready to redeem. He was ready to rescue all of us. You want to know how important something is to God? Look at two things. Look at how much time or space, let's use the word space, is dedicated or given to a particular topic in God's Word. Look how much space is given. So let's look at creation. How, how important is creation to God? It's really important because we have a whole chapter on it in Genesis. The whole Bible begins with that. But how much space over the course of the entire Scripture is given to creation? Genesis chapter 1 for sure. A little bit in Romans, a little bit in Psalms, there's a little bit in Job, there's a little bit, a little bit scattered throughout God's Word, but just a little bit. So, how important is creation to God? Okay, now let's compare that. How important is the redemption of God's creation? How much space does He give that in His Word? And that pretty much gets the entire Scripture. Here's the second thing to look at to find out how important something is to God. What did it cost God? What did creation cost God? Well, it cost Him six days. And one of the, one of the things I read in, in, in the book that's, uh, that a few of you are reading um, that's called In Six Days, one of the writers in that book said, yeah, and, and, and we have no idea why God took so long. Because God could have done all of that in an instant. What did it cost God for creation? It cost Him six measly days. What did the redemption of His creation, what did the redemption of you cost God? What did the redemption of me? It cost Him His life. We say that so frequently that we forget what that really means. It cost him his life. God for the first time separated himself as Jesus separating. Somehow coming out of that and putting on this flesh and blood of man. Somehow yet still being perfectly unified. But God put on the flesh and blood of man as Jesus. And He didn't do it just for the 33 years He was walking on this earth. When He put on the flesh and blood of man, He put that on from that moment to eternity. He still has on the flesh and blood of man. He limited Himself. The unlimited God limited Himself. What did it cost God? Horrible, painful, excruciating torture that we can't comprehend. And then the horrible, painful, excruciating death 
upon the cross that we cannot comprehend. We just think about it so casually. We can't comprehend it. And He did that by choice. What did it cost God? Six days of creation? Or it cost Him His life to redeem His creation? How important was that to God? It was worth His very life. All of this creation around us, and you and me, even though God knew we would blow it, He chose to create us anyway. Even though He knew it would eventually cost Him His life, He created us anyway. And here we are today, in this room together, creations of God. God, whom we said is outside of time, He knew that you would be sitting here today. You may feel like it was just an accident. You may feel like you were just dragged here by somebody else. But God knew you would be sitting here today. He knew. He's outside of time. And God knew that I was going to ask you this next question. You, this next question, sitting in this room today, Are you ready to submit your life to Him? He knew I was going to ask you that. He knew you were going to be sitting in the room listening to that. And now I'm asking you that right now. Are you ready to submit your life to Him? Because He is lovingly waiting on you just like He lovingly waited on me. And so here it is right now in this moment today. Are you ready? If you've never done it before, you can do it right now. Simply say, yes, God, I know that Jesus died for me. And as best I can understand, I'm asking you to have this life, to be the boss of this life. And I submit this to you. This life did belong to me, but I'm giving it back to you. If that's what your heart is saying right now, please, 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 before you turn in your connection card today, mark that on the back of your card. You'll see where to do it. Where it says, I'm making Christ the boss of my life today. Now maybe you've done that in the past and maybe you walked away from God. Maybe you took a a divergent path for a while, but you find yourself right now in this room with us, and I'm asking you the same question. Maybe you have submitted your life in the past, but maybe you realize right now in this moment that you have followed your own way, and you are ready to step back onto God's path. And I just ask you, will you do that right now? Right now, as we sing this song, Ronnie's going to sing it in just a moment, will you, while the song is being sung, will you submit your life to God? Let's sing.